Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. seems like a lot of episodes and if you've listened to all of the majority of these episodes thank you if you've rated reviewed shared the podcast thank you if you're listening to the podcast for the very first time today thank you welcome love for you to leave a review love for you to let us know what you think uh if you're part of the patreon community keep listening after the credits because i've got some stuff exciting stuff i want to share with you if you're not a part of the patreon community you can become a part of that community uh, by clicking on the link in the show notes. Welcome to all of you uh, who are listening. It is a rainy fall day here in in the Bay Area. Um, fall, despite what some people have said recently, is an incredible time of the year. I, I really, I don't understand how anybody could, like, besmirch. That's a good word. I like that word. Besmirch. Fall. I mean, it's just great. It's a great time of year. So. Uh, there's my commercial for fall, who is now, I guess, the season autumn is now an official sponsor of Existential. So there we go. We have our first sponsor, folks, and it is fall, the season. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to my youngest daughter about romance, love in particular. She was kind of having her first like go round with um, some like, I don't know difficult feelings around romance. And I said this thing that like adults tend to say to younger people, their children or people in high school or maybe even in college about love. <laughs> you know, you guys probably know what I'm about to say. I said, you guys are too young. You don't even know what love is. And, you know, you, you kind of expect as an adult that 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 statement rolling downhill is just going to completely like roll over the younger people. And they're just going to be like, Oh yeah, you're right. Duh. We don't know what love is. So why am I, you know, whatever. But she looked at me in the way that my youngest daughter tends to do. She's a very, very inquisitive and intuitive, deep thinking person. And she looked at me and she said, do you know what love is? And when she put that question back in my lap, I was just like, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Like, do I know what love is? And I began to explain to her that I'm learning what love is, that her, her mother and I are learning what it is to love, learning what that means, learning like how to express it and how to like live in it and the messiness of it. Which like this whole conversation and this whole thought for me about the things that we don't get to hold on to, but we just get a glimpse of the things that we can't articulate with our language, but we need to use art forms like music or drawing or art or 
sermons or writings to help us understand what they are, to give them handles for us to grab onto and like carry them around with us so that we can use terminology that people understand, you know? So when someone says, I love you, we can sort of locate what maybe they feel about us or maybe how they see us, how they view us, what they think about us, what their intentions are towards us. But even in that, when someone says, I love you, it could mean so many different things depending upon how that person has viewed it, how that person has experienced it, how that person has seen it, felt it, touched it. Love is one of those big, beyond human things that none of us get to own. We just get to experience it from time to time in its purest form, but I'm not sure any of us get to experience it in its purest form on a daily basis. I mean, that feeling you have for someone or something. I love the Dodgers. I love the Giants. I love the Cubs. I love the Yankees. I love pizza. I love the ocean. I love the beach. I love whatever it is. That feeling that you have, is that actually love? Is that like, like, could you describe for me what that is? What is it that you blank pizza? What is, how do you describe that? You like the taste of it? You like what it looks like? You like what you feel like when the pizza delivery man is at your front door? What are you saying when you say, I love pizza? I think that word love, like so many other big concepts, are us doing our best to describe a thing that is beyond what we can fully grasp or understand. And I believe that that is what theology is. Theology takes something divine, divine energy, a divine being, divine beings, divine ideas, divine theories, divine philosophies, and says, here are some ancient ideas, along with some of our newer ideas, that we think can help us articulate the divine. It's our best, like, summation of what the divine is, who the divine is, how the divine behaves, how we believe we honor the divine. It's doing its best, but it is not the divine. It's not God. It is us doing our best drawing, sermon, painting, song to describe something that is beyond our reach. It's like that really old painting. I believe it's a Michelangelo. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong in, in the reviews of the podcast. You can go. He didn't even know who actually painted the painting where there's, and of course, there's you know, two white people, which is neither here nor there. That, well, I guess it is here and there, but it's not for this podcast where the, the, the fingers are like almost touching each other, but not quite. That picture of humanity and the divine and the separation, that space in between those fingers is theology and ideas about what the divine means and how we behave towards the divine. And no one in the world 
gets to make an exclusive claim about their understanding of it. Otherwise, what they claim to understand is actually not divine, but more of a human construct designed to help them maintain power, control, and influence over people, to help them feel better about themselves, to help them gain some advantage in some way, to help them feel some insecure gap in their soul, but it is not God. It's not the divine. The divine is always outside of our reach. It's always beyond what we can understand. It's always beyond what we can actually articulate. It's why I think it takes all of us. It's my issue with the exclusive claims over God that some people, some um, um, sex, S-E-C-T-S, <laughs> of, of religious circles make claim to. Like the, the claim that what we know about God is the right thing and it's what everybody should adhere to. And if you heard something from someone else, then that's actually not true. It's false. Even if what they're saying may be similar to what we're saying, or maybe exactly what we're saying, but because they didn't use the same words that we used, or they didn't use the same principles, or the same language, or the same dialect, it's actually not true about God. So don't listen to them, listen to us. I just find it hard to accept that we don't all need each other to help us understand the divine. I find it hard to believe that we don't need our queer brothers and sisters, black brothers and sisters, brown, indigenous, and yes, our European brothers and sisters, those who have recognized that whiteness is a construct designed to hold power and to keep it away from anybody who's not white. Yes, all of us need one another to help us understand the divine, to help us make sense of the world that we live in, our own existence, our own being, uh, the, the pain and the grief and the sorrow, the fact that there is grief, the fact that there is and are things that go wrong despite the existence of God. The, like that alone, we need to hear the stories of people who have gone to the extremes, who have stood on the precipice of like really dark and, 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 and despair-causing days, years, lifetimes, who've looked in the face of suffering and survived. We need to hear from them to understand the messiness that is existence. It's a being alive of like knowing joy and pain, sunshine and rain. I don't know who sings that song either. So you guys can add that to the reviews. He doesn't even know who sings that song. I'm not even going to try to guess who it is because I don't want to look like a fool again or sound like a fool. That is. You know, I was um, talking with a friend. From time to time, people will like ask me for, um, you know, input on things. Some people pay me for it. Some people don't. And that's not to knock those who don't pay me for it. I, I have friends that I reach out to for their insights on things that I don't pay. 
So no big deal. I don't mind being paid for my insights, just so you guys are all aware, but that's neither here nor there. Actually, I guess it's here and there. Just another conversation for another day. We're having a conversation about cultural appro appropriation and about who gets to decide. All right, Who gets to decide that something is being culturally appropriated? Is it the appropriator or the appropriated who gets to decide that something is cultural appropriation? Now, most of you listening to this who, uh, even if you are not a person uh, with a culture that frequently gets appropriated or you've seen being appropriated, even if you're just not one of those people, but you're someone who's just been listening to the podcast or reading my work for some time, you, under, you probably already know the answer to the question. The best answer to that question is obviously that the appropriated get to decide whether the person appropriating the culture meant to or not doesn't actually matter when it comes to the question, is this culture being appropriated? The person being appropriated gets to say, you are not handling our culture in a way that honors our traditions, our ancestors, our dress, our food, whatever it is. They get to tell us that if we're not a part of that culture. And yes, you can enter into some cultural appropriation, not meaning to, with the best of intentions, and like trying to honor and wind up dishonoring. And if that is you, and if that's happened to you, and someone's called you out on it, you need to sit in that, apologize, take responsibility for it. Don't make excuses. Just accept, yes, thank you for your education. Now I know how to better honor your culture. And it may mean that I no longer do this thing that I thought was honoring. No matter how much I liked it, I don't get to do it anymore. Or decide to keep doing it and, you know, be an appropriator. That's your choice. You have, you have agency to do that also. But one of the things that came up in that conversation was this idea, and I've had this for some time, specifically about the Christian faith, which is the tradition that I come from, is that like most of my life growing up in evangelical church, I would sort of, there'd be this kind of implicit idea that Jewish people um, did not have the full understanding of God because they didn't, ex many of them, Orthodox Jewish folks, did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. So therefore, the Judaism was incomplete without the New Testament, some call it the Second Testament, was, was incomplete, needed what the Western church had to offer. And as I got older and went through this process of deconstructing a lot of these old constructs and ideas about God and the divine and the scriptures and ancient religion, all those sorts of things, and certainly through the lens of the colonization of African people by European settlers and colonizers, I started to think how much Western religion colonizes Eastern religion and takes the things that like fit into our norm, normal ways of thinking and being. And when I say our, I mean mostly European ways of thinking and being and says, we will apply these things, but we will leave these things behind. And then that's how we kind of wind up with these sort of messy goalpost moving dialogues that we have with a lot of uh, fundamentalist evangelical Christians is because we, if you are a person who kind of has intellectual honesty as you approach like 
scripture or ancient writings, certainly the, the totality of what's, what's called the Christian Bible, you'll see a ton of inconsistencies. You'll see some things in the First Testament that are discarded by how we behave in the West. You'll see a lot of the ancient mysticism taken out of how we practice faith in the West. And you'll see arguments made for why that just don't make a whole lot of sense. Like you'll ask questions about why is it that through so much of the First Testament, certainly the Torah, there is this silence from God about rape and murder, violence. Why is there a commandment to not kill, but then a commandment to go and wipe out entire civilizations, commit genocide? Why is that? And as we sit here in the West with our, like, you know, colonized understanding of, of faith, like, we just, we can sort of come up with some solutions, some answers to these questions that are uh, American, that don't really fully dig their roots into ancient Judaism, ancient Jewish practice, again, mystical ancient Jewish practice, um, tradition, ways of being. I have very respected Jewish friends of mine who I've, I, I feel very blessed to have had some conversations with about the things that they believe, and I, I have learned to honor and cherish their beliefs and their ideas far above anything I hear from people who are not Jewish because those are the people whose ancestors began the conversation that Christians in America are now taking as their own. I would not trust white people in America to tell me about an African messiah. That's just a reality, and that's not, a, that's not an attack on white people. That is just a reality. That, that, why, why would I trust that over African people, people in the African diaspora? Why would I trust European colonizers over people whose ancestors actually worked the ground, were buried in the ground, where the traditions, ideas, theories, customs come from? But yet with, with Christianity here in the West, we kind of, I've seen anyway, and, and I'm speaking from my own experience, just to be very clear, I'm not speaking broadly about everybody. I've seen this sort of move to the back of the line to our Jewish brothers and sisters to say, we got it from here. And I feel some type of way about that. I'm, I'm starting to feel more and more like, yeah, I don't know that we should be doing that because, as I said in the beginning, theology is the gap between what we are as human beings and what we imagine about the divine, but none of us have the market cornered. And if anyone claims to have the market cornered, I just think that is a place that you ought to run from, which many of you who are listening to this have done. You have run from the places that speak to you about things like certainty and guarantees, and this always works this way, and every time this will be like, whoa, 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 whoa. That doesn't sound divine. That sounds 
like something different. That sounds imaginary. There's this idea of God from um, ancient, not ancient, but cert certainly um, pretty old idea about God. And I, I'm now drawing a blank as to, um, uh, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who the theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who came, who introduced us to this idea of God in the machine, that, that there is a God that human beings have constructed that always shows up in predictable ways so that you almost pull a lever and that God shows up. It's kind of harkening back to um, old Greek theater where there was just always this character that just always showed up in predictable ways. It was the God that showed up in predictable ways and did predictable things. And, and that is a lot of the God in the West is that it is a predictable God that always does this. If you do this, God will do that. I grew up on that sort of teaching and belief, especially during the like, hyper-faith movement, that if I just said, money cometh to me now that I was going to get a check in the mail. You say it enough times, I mean, all of us, whether we've said that or not, have gotten checks in the mail, but you say it enough times, eventually you're going to get a check in the mail. But it may not be a causality as much as it is something that just happened. Last thing I want to say about, about theology, right? This, was a, this, is a, this is an episode about theology, in case you were wondering. Last thing I want to say. I said this on social media, and a lot of folks disagree with me, and I understand where the disagreement came from, because of who the disagreement came from. But I still believe this to be true. Theology, in most cases, is a very poor reason to have a breakup in a friendship, in a relationship, in a partnership. It feels like a very hollow reason because of everything I just stated, because of the, the major factor in theology that very few um, modern-day teachers, certainly from my tradition, will tell you. Is here's the, the, uh, the big phrase that should go along with theology. It is, I don't know. I don't know. I believe this. I see evidence for this. This idea is pretty durable. It's kind of stood the test of time. And, Lots of people have believed it, and, and peop, when people have gotten a hold of this belief, it's affected their behaviors in this way, and it seems like this group of people got this message, and when they started to live this way, the world was better, things were happening that were good, there was love and compassion and help given to the poor, and all these things began to happen as a result of this belief being among these people. Yeah, get that, totally on board with that, 100%. Those are great ways of talking about what we believe, but absolute truth, this is the only way. I got issues with that because there are, uh, there's a myriad of beliefs that, have, that people, small groups of people, larger groups of people have held on to that have made the society that they were in better. But I do believe because of that, that losing relationships over ideas about the divine is a very poor reason. Now, losing relationships over people's ideas about the divine, moving over into societal arrangement is a totally different conversation. When we move into ideas about the divine supporting the enslavement of human beings, duh. Supporting white supremacy, duh. Supporting misogyny, duh. Supporting anti-Semitism, duh. Supporting, um, you know, uh, homophobia, 
xenophobia, any of these terrible ways of treating and dealing with people, if people are using theology for those ways of being, then absolutely. But you're not actually parting ways with people under those circumstances because of their theology, but because of their sociology, in my opinion. It is, it is that their theology has not impacted their sociology in a way that is consistent with what you would actually read in just about every ancient piece of literature that you can get your hands on. It is not that they, what they believe about God is the issue. And what I mean by theology being a bad reason for parting ways, it's like people who can no longer rock with me when I say, when I talk about the mythology of the afterlife, or when I say things about including queer folks in the family of God, those are the, when folks go, hey, you're allowing too many people in, you're too inclusive, you're, you're too you're too loving, you're too kind, you're too merciful, you're too forgiving, you're too compassionate, then it's like, okay, yeah. But by and large, my opinion, the hell, I mean, to be honest with you now, the more I, the more I say this stuff out loud, I'm like, well, maybe this is just theology. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I, maybe I take the post down, or I'll just leave it up. Who cares? Point is, it made us think. Hopefully it made you think. It made me think. And I may not have answered my own question. But who cares? Hopefully you're, something is spinning in your mind right now. And you're thinking about the, re, the relationships that you've had. And you're evaluating whether or not the things that they don't believe or do believe are about human beings. And inclusion versus exclusion. Or they're just about silly things like how old the earth is or actual literal seven-day creation, virgin births, those things that I think we can shrug our shoulders and say, hey, I can still be in community with you. I can still break bread with you. I can still be associated with you in public. Now I kind of understand, sitting on this side of things, I understand why uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote, for those of you that don't know this, who wrote a good portion, of, or at least is attributed with writing a good portion of um, the, the Second Testament of the Christian Bible, there's a section where he's pissed at Peter because Peter uh, didn't want to associate with him in public. I kind of understand it now. There's some Christians that don't necessarily want to associate with me in public because of things I believe about God in the afterlife when none of us know. But I do know what's in front of me. I know the human beings in front of me who need to know that I love them and I support them and I'm with them. And I got their back and I stand with them in solidarity. I know that. I know they need that. I can't tell you what love is in a sentence, but I can tell you when I've seen it. I can't describe God to you in a sentence or divinity in a sentence, but I can tell you when I've experienced it, when I've felt it, when I've heard it. Yeah. And every time I've seen love, every time I've seen, heard, experienced the divine, human beings were involved. And most of the time, 
there, there are these ugly moments. Like when I watched someone go to the hospital to see their partner who was dying for two years. Partner could no longer speak. And I watched this person reach their hand down the diaper to see if it needed to be changed after being married for 40 years. And I said, yeah, that's what love looks like. When I heard my friend who's queer, whose father does not accept them, say, it's all good, I still love him. And I thought, yeah, yeah, in the next life, if whatever that next life looks like, if, if we imagine what a next life of justice looks like, that queer daughter will be standing at these pearly gates welcoming their father into the next life because of their mercy, their kindness, and their love. Every time I get a sense of the divine, it involves people, and lots of times it involves people who traditional, at least my tradition, my background, would say, you don't belong. That's all I got for you folks. Make sure you check out the show notes. Thank you for listening to this whole thing. All of you who um, have not yet rated or reviewed, please hit me with a review and a rating. Let me know what you think about this podcast. If this is your first episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to some other ones. We've had some incredible guests on that you want to go listen to. Uh, and thank you for helping us to continue for a better world. One conversation at a time. Thank you.